Johnny, my friend, I have just eaten a delicious serving of beer, cheese, and pretzels from the handlebar that you got for me. And let's just do everybody listening a favor and tell them if they don't know about the handlebars happy hour. Place is great. Seven days a week, 2 to 6 p.m. You're going to get some money off all of their ridiculous amount of draft beers. 28. Super great rotating lineup. Half off bottles of wine, excellent patio, delicious food. It's got everything a growing boy needs. Yeah, again, that's the Handlebar. They're right here in Chico on the south end of town at 2070 East 20th Street. Check out that happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. Get a dollar off all of their draft beers. Here's the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer podcast and radio show, and not just craft beer, by the way, but also movies. And with that, we're off to the races. I am Max Minardi. Johnny Summers here. What's up? It's clear that we've been off the air. I forgot how to start this thing. That's fine. How long? It's We've been off for officially, is it two weeks that we've that we've kind of been hanging back? Yep, that sounds right. Well, welcome back, sir. It's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to be back. This week, our review of the animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem from director Jeff Rowe. But before our thoughts on that, Johnny, tell the listeners what we are drinking this week. I picked up two beers from Crooked Stave Brewing. They're based out of Denver, Colorado. The first one is called Just Peachy. It is a fruited sour ale that's 4.5%. And the second beer is called VA. It is a traditional artisanal French saison that clocks in at 4.2%. If you are listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, we hope you're having a terrific Saturday afternoon. On the radio version of our show today, you'll be hearing our episode almost in its entirety, which will eventually include spoilers for Mutant Mayhem. That said, those spoilers won't be until about 4.30 this afternoon. On the other hand, you could go see the movie and just listen to the podcast version of our show, which, in addition to our beer reviews and thoughts on the film, includes the always unpredictable Hot and Bothered segment, which is exclusive to our podcast listeners. It's how we end the show each week by catching up with each other, discussing everything from the latest shows we'd recommend to fun beers we've tried off the air. It's anybody's guess. Yeah, so if you want to find all that, you're going to go search for Fresh Hop Cinema on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all the other major podcast platforms. We released, we have released new episodes every Friday since 2016, which means it's able, well, almost every Friday. Yeah, sure. Just modify that. Uh, it's available to, uh, to all of you listening on KZFR right now. If you like the show, please take five seconds and leave us one of those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. It's like a shiny gold star for us. We really appreciate it. And let us know you did that. Uh, you should text us to brag and uh, we might shower some, some love and adoration on you. Uh, you're going to want to do that with the podcast text line. It's 530-433-0839. Again, that number is 530-433-0839. To hang out with us on social media, you're going to search Fresh Hop Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or Untapped, or just head over to the old website at freshhopcinema.com. And if all that's not enough, you can also find us on Patreon, which if you're not familiar, here's the elevator pitch for Patreon. Basically, You have a few bucks every month. You can support a person or people that you like or a thing, in this case, a podcast and us for a couple bucks. And in exchange, we give you access to um, exclusive Patreon-only bonus episodes. For example, most recently, we put out a a collaborative film review with our friend and patron, Chris Gomez, where we talked about a film that neither of the three of us or none of the three of us had seen uh, called Beyond the Black Rainbow from Panos Cosmatos. Um, If you don't know that director by name, he did Mandy, he did um, Color Out of Space, some very 
um, body horror sci-fi kind of movies. Um, and we had lots of thoughts on Beyond the Black Rainbow. And that's available now on our website behind our very exclusive Patreon paywall. So for just a couple bucks a month, you can get that and you can help keep our podcast rolling. And if you go a little bit higher in, in your amount per month, you get invited to exclusive bar hangs or movie nights or any number of fun events where myself and Johnny get together with all the people in Patreon and talk about beer and movies in person. I think it's a, it's a pretty sweet time. And there's usually some good food and at least three or four alcoholic beverages are, yeah. are present in the evening. Right. So again, that's patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema to go learn more. It takes a few minutes and uh, I think you'll be, you'll be glad you did. But I think with all that, Johnny Summers, our housekeeping is out of the way. You mentioned our beers and this one is called Just Peachy. Would you please tell me more? Yeah, not a whole lot to tell. Uh, it is called Just Peachy. It is a peach fruited sour ale, again, from Crooked Stave out of Denver, Colorado. It's four and a half percent. It was picked up this morning at SNS Produce right here in Chico. Uh, and yeah, it's a sour ale aged on Colorado grown peaches. That's mm. the, the depth of the description that we we're able to find online. So that's what we're going with. What, what are your thoughts on Crooked Stave? Before we get into this beer specifically, what's your relationship to that brewery and their beers? I've been a big fan for a long time. They have a, a series of beers called like Nightmare on Brett. Okay. Um, they are just Nightmare because they've done Nightmare on Cherries. I want to say maybe they've even done a Nightmare on Peaches, but I've uh, been a big fan of their their wild ales. Their, their, I think they do wild fermentation, um, but their sour ales are what they're known for primarily. I've had some other traditional styles from them and they've all been above average so i would say i'm i'm pretty pretty hot on this brewery they've always been solid never really let me down good now am i remembering this or or, or having an inability to remember something or have we never done them on the show before Ooh, i would have to dig into the podcast vault to to figure that I, out i know i i should have done that beforehand but it occurred to me that i'm confusing crooked stave with a brewery in auburn that is escaping me now also. Do you Crooked have, Lane. Crooked Lane, which I know we've done on the show. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was expecting. So I think the last thing we did from Crooked Lane was like a hazy pale ale or IPA. Um, and I've had a bunch of their beers. Now I've had a f- sip of this Just Peachy and it, it, it like triggered something in my brain. Like I'm pretty sure we've never had this before because this is such a specific type of, of clearly um, a brewery that knows what they're doing when it comes to sour beers. Yeah, which nothing against Crooked specified. Lane, but I just you know, um, I, I don't recall ever having even any kind of sour beer from them. No, there are you know, I just did a quick Google of ourselves as I am known to do, sure. and there are no results with the words Crooked Stave and Fresh Hop Cinema anywhere on the internet. So we are breaking ground today. That's so weird because I know I've heard this brewery's name around a lot over the years. Um, so that well, okay, and I exciting. feel like I've shared at least one of them with you outside of the podcast. So oh, okay, it's. They've been on our radar, and you might have had some of their beers before. I, I have a faint memory of sharing one of their sours with you at someone's house. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely rings a bell. And, and this brewery's been around since 2010, so that's entirely possible that over the years we've just had some. But it just seems wild to me that they've never um, made it onto the show for, for a fairly yeah. well-established and, and large-ish brewery. Well, for the longest time, they weren't distributed in this area. Mm. And then once they became distributed, it was like a situation where you would see one bottle in a shop or like one yeah. flavor of bottle, I should say. 
and it was just it never fit the bill for the show like we like to do the two and they recently i want to say within the last two years developed a canning system either outside sourced or bought one yeah um and kind of started to up production and you see more variety in cans coming out of crooked stave so because before it was all i want to say three seven five milliliter bottles Mm -hmm. with like wax caps that were not cheap i want to say nightmare on brett runs like 20 25 bucks a bottle oh man okay so which is just a it's a higher end price point for a a sour ale of a small quantity that just it never quite fit the bill so given this this repackaging and and the canning uh it it really helps a podcast like ours for our needs to fit right in and totally having two cans one a 12 ounce this is a 12 ounce can the beer we're drinking later is out of a 16 ounce can but uh, both affordable, both fresh, both really sexy packaging. I think it was uh, it was time to get good old Crooked Stave on the podcast. I'm going to shout out one more thing about them, which is on their website. It's on their um, their sort of about us page. There is mm-hmm. quite literally a flow chart. And I say literally because it is um, a visual representation of how they make different types of beer. So the beer is literally flowing through the flow chart. Um, it's wonderfully drawn and or run, wonderfully illustrated, I suppose. Um and there's different ways that they make their beers. And I, you said the second beer we're doing today is a is a traditional artisanal saison. So um, I think the production will be more similar to this beer. But I'd be very curious to try something of theirs that is um, is not a a wild fermentation or a or a sour beer or or maybe something more. Um, I don't even know if they do IPAs, but. Uh, if they do, I'd want to try that. And I really would love to give a shout out to this, this diagram. I'm going to see if I can pull it from their website and maybe we can stick it on Instagram because it's, it's great. Excellent. Yeah. We are suckers for nice web design. I mean, so many breweries just do not put the effort into hiring a good web designer. Know, and, it shows, you man. know, it should be sexy and stand out and, you know, informative and yeah, their website is all of those things really clean, easy to navigate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Big, big thumbs up. I'm going to give this website a, an 8.5 out of 10. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Let's get into just peachy. You've tried it, I assume. Oh yeah. What do you think? Well, first of all, the can is just cute as heck, man. I, it ha- is... can I, I hate the can. Oh really? I don't like it. I, mean, I think it makes the beer look cheap. Oh, I like it, man. It's got this kind of retro vibe. Uh, of, you know, this, this kind of 1970s shag carpet green, or I'm sorry, peach color, orange. <laughs> I was be like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, just so you know, we're drinking completely different beers. Right. No, um, no, I love the orange and the, the art of the peaches reminds me of kind of an American traditional tattoo style with big thick outlines mm-hmm. and bright colors. I'm about it. I think the can's very eye-catching. It's sexy. It makes me want to drink it. Well, fair enough. Yeah, it might just be a personal taste thing. Um, it's just for anybody that doesn't see it in front of them or isn't looking on our Instagram for reference. It's just it's an orange can, like you said. It says just peachy, and then there's pairs of two peaches, basically with with a with like blue leaves, which kind of gives me it throws me for a little bit of a loop. But it's fine. It looks visually very nice. It just does seem like one of those like slapped on logos to me, which is not you That's know fair. I don't know. It just seems like it's not in line with the. Which is, I'm leading it into this, into like a compliment here, but it doesn't quite match up with the caliber of liquid I think is in the can. Based on my first drink. Good enough. So liquid wise, man, it's, it's shockingly balanced, you know, that you get, first off, it's super peach forward, which I love. Mm -hmm. So many times we do a beer and it says peach, this and this pineapple, this and that. And it's, you have to look for it. Yeah. There's no mistaking this. It's on the nose. It's it's right up front with the flavor. <laughs> yeah. The the peach peachiness is 
somewhere between the like a fafoon from Cantillon, like just a super oh. traditional acidic enamel melting sour and candied like peach rings, like mm-hmm. sour peach mm-hmm. rings, which which is good. I was hoping it would have some sweetness and some jamminess to level out the the acidity. Uh, and I think it does. It's it's bright. It is very uh, mouth-watering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the level of sour. I don't think they pushed it too far. I think it still has um, an enjoyability as a liquid when sometimes when it gets just too acidic, it's yeah, you know, it's like drinking vinegar. It's great for uh-huh. uh, you know an ounce or two, but then after that, you're just my stomach drinking hurts vinegar. Already. Yeah, you ever had like apple cider vinegar? Oh, They're supposed yeah. to do shots of I that. I know, for your I can't. Help. It makes me want to throw up. But I, I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, yeah. We're getting into the acidity talk, which is um, one of the big things for me in a beer like this, is that the acidity better not outweigh the fruit characteristics. But I also don't want to not have any of it. Like there has to be that balance. Um, mm-hmm. that I think is a result most of the time of the malolactic fermentation, if I'm not mistaken, with a, with a sour beer, um, or with a, with a sour ale aged on, on actual fruit. I believe that's mm-hmm. the right, uh, fermentation that happens. I could be wrong. I'd love to be corrected. If anybody who knows more is listening, please let me know if what I just said was right. Um, the point is the balance has to be there. And I think, um, to give you my initial thoughts, it is there. There's a ton of peach. You're right. It's, it's extremely peachy just smelling it. And then you get hit with a really, really great amount of fresh peach, but it does quickly make a, a really sharp turn into a tangy, punchy acidity that that is almost too much for me, but but not quite. I do I do enjoy it so far. Me too. It's it's right on the cusp, but it never crosses the bridge into me really disliking it. But boy, it it drives right up to the edge and looks over, and you can see it. You can see it. It's right yeah. over there, the edge that would be too far. I want to speak to the kind of peaches, not necessarily the varietal, but yeah. the level of ripeness that was used. Because a lot of times in beers, you get an overripe peach flavor, almost yeah. a peach juice note. This reminds me of a fresh peach that is just barely ripe enough to eat. Yes. You know, if you've ever picked up a peach and you kind of squeeze it to see if it's got any give because you want it to be a little squishy, this one is still a little firm, but just squishy enough to eat because it has that bright, crisp sourness. And it's not, I don't know if it's something from the ripening process where more of the the juices turn to sugars inside of a peach. Mm -hmm. Because it feels like squishier peaches are more um, sweet. sweet. I'd love to know the the scientific technical term for that. But squishy equals sweet. That's this podcaster's take on that. And I like the fact that they used some that aren't overly sweet and overly jammy. Because if you went that route with a beer that had this level of acidity, I think it would just become like a jumbled mess. I think so too. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan. Big fan. I like this beer. Um, to 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 just kind of take a swing at what you're saying, I think it's probably something to do with like – so when as a fruit ripens, right? So like we're saying – but actually to cap your point, I don't think these peaches that they used here were ready to eat. I think if you would try to buy a peach like this at the supermarket, it would be crunchy. Like, and, right. and the flavors wouldn't be there, but I do think you need what you're talking about, like that, that, that tanginess to not become overly sweet once they ferment it. Um, but I think in terms of actual fruit growing, like the, the longer a f- uh, piece of fruit stays on the vine, the more, uh, sugar it will develop. And I think the sugar and the starches in the, in the fruit will start to break down the actual, um, phys- like the actual fruit. And that's what gives it the squish. Um, and that's, I think, I think I might be onto something there. 
because I looked at one thing online real quick, an article called How Do Fruits Ripen? And it's something like that. <laughs> that makes sense. I thought you just knew that. I didn't know you were such a horticulturalist. I'm gonna, horticulturalist. I was, just a moment ago, I was thinking maybe today, since we're recording a part, I'll just pretend like I know all this stuff and I'll very secretly Google things. When you say things like, I wonder why, and I'll just be like, I know why. But uh, I don't like lying to you, so, you know. Here we are. You can totally tell when you're reading something off Google, too, just so you know. Well, you didn't know. I knew. No, you didn't. I did. You thought I knew it. <laughs> I had an inkling. Yeah, you well, have sure. A subtle, Why would I know that? Su- of course. Yeah. Like, I didn't eat all your peach trees in your backyard, obviously. Right. Um, okay. Do you have anything that you don't like about just peachy that is glaringly bad or, or even moderately irritating to you about this beer? I mean, moderately irritating is... The fact that it still does, it just drives right up to that edge. I mean, and I personally would want a beer that stays a little bit further from that territory. Um, It is pushing the limits of what I would consider an enjoyable beer in the sour category. Okay, give me an out of 10. It's a solid 7.3. 7.3, pretty great rating. Yeah, I love the peach notes. It's, It's an unmistakable flavor and aroma. They nailed that. So for being a peach sour, it is what it is, and I really like it. For me, the the only thing I don't like is the telltale thing that happens with any sour beer, and I'm not even sure I can hold it against the style, but it is something that my body doesn't love, which is the acidity as it pertains to my lower throat, upper stomach, heartburn sort of territory. And, you know, I've had maybe, I don't know, four ounces of this that I've just finished, and it's still, it just is sitting kind of hot and heavy right at the base of my jugular, you know? Yeah. But I like everything else. So for me, it's a nine. I think it's real good. I would happily have more. Yeah, I really dig it. That's a great score. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about for this beer? Um, I think it's worthwhile. It's a very affordable can. I will say that. It is a very low, low risk investment. Nice. So if you're on the fence, it's worth diving into for, for the investment you would need to make. Perfect. All right. Well, once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. If you've tried Just Peachy from Crooked Stave and you think we maybe got it wrong or you know that we obviously got it right, get in touch. Please let us know. You can leave a voicemail or send us a text to 530-433-0839. We do love feedback. Again, that number is 530-433-0839. And you know what? If you like the show, help us out. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Yes, indeed. It only takes a couple seconds, and it is one of the absolute best ways to help us get our show in front of new potential listeners. So please do that. Incoming right now is a trailer for the movie of the week, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. If you haven't seen it, fear not. There are no spoilers in our next segment, so don't go anywhere. Boys, where have you been? We're just running errands. That's it? Really sorry, Splinter. Some of the guys wanted to get pizza, and I tried to talk them out of it. Leo! You ratted us out. Hey, don't use that word that way. I mean, it's 2023. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, if we weren't monsters that were shunned by society and we could do what we wanted, ah! what would you guys do? Go to high school. Maybe get a girlfriend. Can you imagine that? Not likely. This is insane. Turtle, mutant, karate teens. I want to know everything about you. Our dad is definitely not a giant rat. That makes me feel like he's a rat. Police are baffled by the recent crime wave led by a super fly. 
Nobody's ever seen his face. Why? Because he kills everyone who does. Cool. No, not cool. A bit cool. Can I kick it? We take out Superfly, and then everyone will think we're cool. They'll accept us. Can I kick it? He's making a deal tonight under the Brooklyn Bridge. Can I kick Chick. Whoa. Chick, 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 chick. What the? Y'all some little tortoises, huh? I can't believe there are other mutants. You want to roll with us? Oh. Humans are never gonna like us. So we gonna let the mutants rule the earth. People's, they got to go. Okay, um, sort of a twist. We can't stop him. We gotta try. Six in the morning, police at my door. Can I My son, Michael Angelo, you have heart. Donatello, you have wisdom. Raphael, you have bravery. And Leonardo, honor. Enough talk! I dream about fighting every night. You've got a rage problem, oh, right? It's not a problem! Can I If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film. If you're listening on the radio waves of KZFR 90.1 FM, you are so, so sadly going to be missing out on some solid gold that's going to be available exclusively to our podcast listeners. So if you'd like to hear the whole episode, go subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts. It is currently available for your streaming pleasure. So at the end of this, if you're just dying to know what all the hot and bothered fuss is about, please download it and go listen. After years of being sheltered from the human world, the Turtle Brothers set out to win the hearts of New Yorkers and be accepted as normal teenagers. Their new friend April O'Neil helps them take on a mysterious crime syndicate, but they soon get in over their heads when an army of mutants is unleashed upon them. Again, that was the trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rowe, um, who, by the way, wrote and directed The Mitchells vs. the Machines back in 2021, one of our favorite movies of that year. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, we were, so it was like in the past few years, like that movie, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Um, Maybe this one. We'll see as we get into it. Uh, this film had a script by the director, Jeff Rowe, Seth Rogen, um, Evan Goldberg, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Samit. There's a bunch of people that show up as voice actors here, but I will just shout out the main turtles first, which are Micah Abbey, Shimon Brown, Nicholas Cantu, and Brady Noon. You have um, Ao Edibiri playing April O'Neil. You have Jackie Chan as Master Splinter. Um, then you also have the main villain, Superfly, who's voiced by Ice Cube. Um, and among his cohort are John Cena, Seth Rogen, Maya Rudolph, Rose Byrne, many others. This came to wide release in theaters August 2nd, so we're a few weeks um, behind the draw here. And it's an hour and 40 minutes long. Johnny Summers, what do you think of this? Man, what an entertaining movie this was. I went in with moderately high expectations because I have a ton of nostalgia for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in general, everything from the Nintendo Entertainment System video game uh, that I played on the original Nintendo till my fingers bled to the arcade games to all the movies, the mm. live action movies, the cartoon. Um, big, big fan uh, of this franchise. So I was really optimistic and they delivered, man. This movie was a visual feast. It was a real treat. Definitely reminded me of... Uh, the first Spider-Verse movie mm -hmm. in that just pushing the boundaries of what animation can be and do and um, the the visual appeal 
there. The color palette they used was fantastic with these just the contrast between all the dark, gritty, mm-hmm. like subway sewer scenes and these bright neons that were thrown in there was just it was so visually pleasing. And uh, they did something completely unique in the Ninja Turtles uh, canon, if you will. They actually used teenagers in a movie, which added a layer of believability because in every other, like the live action movies, the turtles were portrayed by grown men in turtle suits that were kind of trying to put on the nuance of teenagers. Yeah. Whereas when you have actual teenagers voicing actual teenage person problems, it becomes so much more believable and it just clicks and makes sense. Uh, I loved the cast. I loved Ayo Itabiri, who, if you don't know, she's from The Bear. That's the thing that she's probably most known for right now. She was pretty much the co-star of that entire series. I recognized her voice immediately, Um, but loved the cast. I loved some of the cameos in the cast were tremendous. Um, It really struck on all, all marks for me. The humor was there. The action was there. The animation was there. Viscerally entertaining. I can't wait to watch it again at home. Out of 10. Out of 10, 9-3. Great, great, great rating. Okay, um, before I get into my thoughts, you've mentioned now a couple of times the other movies in the canon or whatever. Do you off the top of your head know how many there have been? Um, at I, least three live action. I want to say they either made a cartoon or a cartoon series. I mean theatrical but, releases, which uh, theatrical, I think for the most part have been, I mean, yeah, just, and, and I'm including this one, which is not live action, but I think no. it still counts for what I'm talking about. I want to say there was three. There, This is seven. Whoa. It's, right. So I didn't think it was that high either, but I also forgot about 2016 and 2014. Those were both directed by Michael oh. Bay. Do you remember those? Did you see those movies? Didn't love them. Okay, so I didn't even see them, but the first one was just called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was 2014. And then there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, colon, Out of the Shadows. Um, I don't know. Was Megan Fox in one of those? I feel like probably. Yeah. And then before that, there was kind of a one-off um, called TMNT, and that was in 2007. And then before that, in the early 90s are the ones that I think of, which are which is – the first one's always called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then mm-hmm. there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze – um, which is the one that I remember vividly. And then yeah. that was 90, uh, 91. And then 1993 was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Uh, Turtles in Time? No. Or was, um, was it just three? That sounds, no, that's not right. But it, you know, that no, felt, but felt it right was the one me. where they went back in time to feudal Japan and became like samurais. It that was great. Looks right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like I grew up on the cartoons and the game, like same thing as you. And like I liked the 91 movie. I remember that one the most, but I, you know, I don't remember the other stuff really. So I, yeah, I thought it'd be fun to see this one. Like I was, you know, it'd be a fun, like I knew Jeff Rowe was involved and I knew that he was Mitchell's versus the machine. So I was excited for that, but like pretty pleasantly surprised. This is, this is a superhero origin story. Make no mistake about that. And mm-hmm. it's dealing with coming of age stuff. The teenagers deal with like, what, like the whole premise is trying, these boys trying to figure out where they belong in, in sort of the grand scheme of the world. Cause they're outcasts in this case, literally they are mutants. They cannot be seen by people, but what an on the nose, but beautiful way of, you know, approaching weirdness as a teenage boy. That's mm-hmm. resonates with any teenager that would see this resonates with me as someone who was a teenager. I, what a great concept. I think it was super entertaining. A lot of clever writing stuff, camera stuff. Um, insofar as you can call this camera stuff, um, some great needle drops throughout this. Some of my favorite, uh, musical moments happen in this movie. There's a, there's an incredible tracking shot montage 
that mm. is is happening to no diggity. And it's like multiple fights, but a continuous lateral tracking shot. Um, that's almost like something out of that movie, Old Boy. Um, yep. And they even like I think threw in like a like a superhero 360 degrees around the four turtles, like nod to Avengers kind of thing. There's lots mm-hmm. of clever stuff that happens here. It was super entertaining. Like we said, it's like it's an hour 40, which is also refreshing for a superhero movie. I, right? I, I was super into it, man. You know, like it's a solid, solid eight out of 10 for me. Excellent. Really, really Yeah, you it. hit on something I completely forgot about, which was how damn good the soundtrack was. The music in this movie was off the hook, man. It was yeah. great. And and by the way, the the stuff that wasn't pre like the stuff that wasn't pre-made like the, the non-soundtrack, the actual score stuff was um Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who are just for the past like, I don't know, ten years are just like crushing it. Destroying cinematic music. It's like them and Hans Zimmer and Yeah. Uh maybe a couple others, but those those two sort of powerhouses come to mind and their names show up in so many things. Who would have thought 15 years ago you'd be throwing Trent Reznor's name in the same category as Hans Zimmer? I bet Trent Reznor thought that. He's like, I'm doing this. Yep. Um, okay, what did you not like about it? Anything we can talk about without heavy spoilers? <clears throat> I mean, I'm trying to think back. Yeah, because yeah, how, how long ago has it, how long ago did you see this? It's been like two weeks now. Two weeks? Yeah, for me it's like a yeah. week and a half. It's Yeah, that's going to be hard I because I kind of forget about that stuff and just focus on the joy. Can I ask you two questions? Um, number one, yeah. were you satisfied with the way that the movie ended in terms of character arcs as it as, as it pertains to heroes and or villains? I was. I liked the way that it, it ended, yes. Question two, did you stay for the post-credit scenes? I did not. Then I don't understand how I answered a question one was yes, but we can talk about that when we get into spoilers. Okay. Um, so nothing's glaringly terrible to you on, on a, on a distant memory? No, I don't think so. There was nothing standing out that really bugged me. I mean, maybe I just wanted more of certain things like Superfly's gang. I loved the gang of, of villains, you know, with John Cena and Seth Rogen as Bebop and Rocksteady and then some Mm -hmm. new, new villains thrown in there. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Post Malone voiced one of them. Yeah. And Paul Rudd. And Paul Rudd. And um, I don't remember who Post Malone is voicing, but I know Paul Rudd was like kind of the spazzy. In my brain, he's a lizard, but I don't He was a gecko. A gecko. There it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many people. Um, Hannibal Burris shows up as Genghis Frog. I love that. You know? Um, Well, then- I think I think we probably start moving towards spoilers here in a minute. Although I did want to say um, some very creative but visually disturbing things happen. The, the ooze is never really explained except as like a like as a as a as a catch-all mutating agent, and it gets weaponized. Obviously, um, at one point in the third act, somebody, the bad guy, Superfly, gets into it again, and he turns into something different. Super duper fly, and it is gross. There's yeah. a, there's a zoo involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um there's it's it's gnarly. Uh yeah. and it's kind of funny but it's also really gross. So I had a hard time. I mean it was fun, but I didn't expect to have that kind of visceral reaction to a movie like this. See, I liked that they did that. They kind of pushed the the ick factor without yeah. going too violent. They kept it fairly family friendly while still adding some ick, which is a, a kind of a hard thing to do. So I, totally. I appreciated that scene. I really liked the visuals of the the super duper fly villain. Yeah, and, it was uh, a yeah. lot. It was good. Yep. All right. Um, Johnny, then last chance to talk about anything that you uh, – well, I guess you can talk about it. But I guess listeners, last chance to uh, probably hear stuff without spoilers, unless, Johnny, you have anything else you want to say. 
Uh, no, let's get into spoilers. Okay, once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you do have thoughts on anything we've discussed on the show so far today, get in touch. You can text, you can call 530-433-0839 or just send a good old-fashioned email, obviously, to fhccast at gmail.com. Now, when we come back, we'll be discussing Mutant Mayhem with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet in the three weeks it's been out in theaters, consider this your second-to-last warning. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Okay, welcome to the Danger Zone, everybody. As a reminder, this is now where we're going to talk spoilers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. If you haven't seen it, that's your last warning. Let's get into it. Um, I don't want to start with the post credits, but I do want to talk about those. Uh, there's, I think, two scenes that we'll that we'll touch on in a little bit here, but um, I was confused by how the movie ended. Like, I didn't know what happened to Superfly. You know? He they was just gone. Him. They melted him. Also, since we have a couple minutes here, and I know there's some people listening that haven't seen the movie, like, let's just set it up slightly more. Um, mm-hmm. Would you like me to do it, or would you like to do it? Uh, you go ahead. I'll jump in in a minute. Okay, so the, the kids, uh, we get a whole backstory on how Splinter found these turtles. He was a, he was a lowly rat, and then, you know, that's where they learned to hate humans because he was despised. He raises them. They are venturing out because they're like 15 years old and they meet April O'Neil, um, say helping her, you know, get her scooter back from a bunch of villains. Those villains are connected to the bigger villains. So they get on the bigger villains, Superfly's radar. Um, and it turns into a whole thing where it's like very Charles Xavier versus Magneto where Superfly's like, we got to wipe out all the humans. And then, you know, obviously the turtles are like, you can't, don't do that. Humans are worth saving kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they come to a head and they fight. Uh, and it's an, it's a battle of both physicality and ideology. Uh, and there's a bunch of stuff that happens, but those are kind of the main plot points, except once we get to the end. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. I'm missing anything major. No, I think that's, that nails it. Okay. Um, favorite musical moment, Johnny Summers, do you have one? I really liked when, uh, Wu-Tang started playing at Mm -hmm. the, towards like the beginning of the movie. That Mm -hmm. was really rad. And Mm -hmm. then the whole, um, the, the, in the car, uh, the fight scene with four non-blondes playing. So good. When somebody oh. shoots through the windshield and, and they goes, what's going on? <laughs> it's so good. Great. It's yeah. great, That man. was on mine and too, for sure. Yeah. I just also loved Jackie Chan as Splinter. I think that casting choice was so spot on perfect. Yeah. Have I you been, loved him. Have you been seeing that video going around the internet um, where Jackie Chan is sitting with his daughter going over like his most intense stunts over the years yes. and like she's crying and he's crying and it's like <laughs> he's watching yeah. him, she's like watching her dad get beat up yeah and like they take the sound like dad did that hurt um i don't know if that's part of it but uh i felt a lot for this character and i don't think it was the animation of the rat right no yeah you can't watch that video going around and not get like emotional just because he has had such a long career yeah and just doing so many i mean all of his own stunts he's Crazy, yeah. crazy talented. Have him and but Tom no. Cruise ever been in a movie together? That's a good question. That'd they, be a good movie. Dude, Maybe. they both might just end up dying, though, because yeah, they try to out-stunt yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. I'd be uh, very concerned. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a great sequence that happens. So, so basically, I guess this is the part that I missed. The reason the Turtles want to befriend April is because she's a film journalist at her school, and they think... You know, they realize the the power of of social media and videos and whatever, and they say, if okay, if we can be seen as heroes in the eyes of the public, 
they will love us and then we can you know, fit in. Go to high school, have girlfriends, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they basically hire April or they team up with April so she can film them doing cool stuff and they can help her you know, have a reputation for something other than throwing up on, on the school camera or the school. Well, that's not quite it. Go. Um, they help her break the story of Superfly because she's kind of tracking down. She's got this big board in her hideout of all these mysterious crimes that are happening and they yeah. all point back to one, the, the soup, the fly, the Superfly. Right, right, right. Um, and so the, the turtles realize that Maybe they can, if they help her break this case and like solve this crime, that will be their way into being accepted by humanity. And then also she gets something out of it by, by, you know, performing German journalism is, is what her goal is and cracking the story and kind of getting into that field. So it was like a mutually beneficial, let's crack this case. Everybody wins. And then we can, we can be normal teenagers in the, in the city. I feel like that's what I said. You left out the um, the thing with the, the Superfly. That was like the whole crux of her position was was going after him. Right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. She wants to do that because she's always wanted to be a journalist. And the first time yeah. she tried, it was at her school and she threw up everywhere. And she's like, maybe I can redeem myself by solving this actual big crime. Yes. Um, yes. And I don't remember where I was going with this. Uh, oh, I got That's it. That's all right. So they, 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 they team up with April, right? And then- there's this one sequence where they're like rapping outside of, um, might've been like a gymnasium. Maybe they're in an alley and she's not filming them cause they're not doing anything really. And then they're like, yo, you gotta be filming us right now. And she's like, do you want me to film everything? And there's this really nice thing that happens where the camera is doing its omniscient thing where it's just like a, a stationary camera. And then mm-hmm. that conversation happens. And a moment later, like April walks out of the frame and then that camera moves and it like grabs, <laughs> and it's like she went and picked up the camera. And it's not quite that overt, but I noticed it. And I was like, that's such a great touch. Like just, yeah. just right after they asked that, it's like, oh, then I guess she's the one now filming. Kind of fourth mm-hmm. wall breaking, but not totally. I thought it was, I thought yeah. it was great. No, very creative filmmaking. It's such a subtle thing that if you're not like paying attention, you wouldn't yeah. catch. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk, let's talk the ending here while we got a couple minutes. Yeah. He, Superfly is building a machine. Kind of like Otto Octavius in Spider-Man 2, where it's mm-hmm. like clearly going to – it's even on the water, where it's going to be a problem if it powers up. And at yep. this point, like all of the other quote-unquote bad mutants, his his henchmen, his minions, are like, we didn't know there was another way. We don't want to do this anymore. And Superfly's like, nah, like we're doing it. Mm-hmm. The machine breaks because they all sabotage it, but then he falls in the water and turns into like a mega fly and then goes to a zoo – and like spits on all of those animals and they like fuse to him. Yeah. He absorbs them all. Like, I don't, I wouldn't clear on that, but I don't care. It was gross and great. Yeah. Definitely had shades of Cronenberg's the fly. Dude. I still Just, haven't seen that, but I can imagine knowing the little I know about Cronenberg. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Horses yeah, for legs. Like, but not horses, like yeah. not just like his legs or horses, like a hundred horses glued <laughs> to his legs. Yeah. All just hodgepodge together. Like if you took a bunch of zoo animals and just hot glued them into a yeah. structural being. And yeah. Like his torso was a whale. Ugh. Yeah. It was there's like an elephant on his like neck where it met his shoulder. It looked like a giant, <laughs> like a like a like a tumor of an elephant. Head. Yeah. It was, just it the was head. so cool. Um I also love when they shot him with the anti-mutant ooze and like it hit his leg and like one of the horses popped off. And just yeah. <laughs> and he's like, that's that's it. 
Yeah, by the end, Look. they all they learn to work as a team, and then of course, you know, they're they're greeted as heroes, but they have to work together to make that happen. Um, Superfly dis- disappears. He gone. Mm-hmm. He melted. That pissed me off. Uh, yeah, and to the point where I was like, you can't end the movie like that. Like, what happened? To the fly. The whole time I was thinking, like, he's going to come around because we have a larger bad guy to deal with. We have, like, the government operation that is trying to milk them, right? Which was also, like, a like a, <laughs> like a weirdly, like, kind of on-the-edge joke to be making as many times as they did in this movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But there is that entity, and I can't think of the acronym, but I might look it up real quick. But there's this government agency like that is- CRT or It is. ACRT. There's a T in it for sure. Yeah. Um, they're trying to weaponize this ooze, and that's the whole thing with- like the guy that invented this stuff, which is Baxter Stockman, voiced here by Giancarlo Esposito, um, TCRI, by the way. Yeah. In the original, like the live actions, it was TGRI. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Um, anyways, so, so, so I thought Superfly was going to eventually realize, yes, the humans are not all bad. So let's do this. And then the movie would shift or at least set up a sequel where, you know, we'd be fighting the bad guys by the end. And mm-hmm. that does happen in the post-credit scenes. Okay, so illuminate. Uh, so, so I, somehow, um, well, there's a shot of the prom. The prom happens, which is nice. The turtles all go to school. They're at prom. I think prom was after the credits. Is that right? Uh, you yes. wouldn't know. Do you? Did you see that scene? No, I left. The yeah. credits rolled right after okay. they like walked into the high school and were all okay. Accepted. Right. So then there's a prom. And it's everybody's having a good time. And then we kind of cut out or cut back a little bit. And we're looking at the gymnasium through one of the security cameras in the thing. And mm-hmm. we are in like the headquarters of, of TCRI and the, and, uh, Oh, who is it? Cynthia, Cynthia Utram, uh, mm-hmm. voiced by my Rudolph is like, ah, here they are. And then, you know, in the corner is like in a little jar. And it's like, I got big plans for you, little guy, whatever. And then one of her henchmen's like, we, you know, finding, finding the teenage turtles was easier than we thought, but, but capturing them is going to be a, a whole nother story. And then she goes, as the music swells, she goes, bring me the, and then it cuts away to an island in a rainstorm. There's a silhouette of a pointy shouldered guy. And then you hear the shredder. the shredder. Yeah. And then it cuts to black. I forgot about shredder. I forgot that was even a character that I knew existed. Crazy. So clearly, you know, as, as the three others have done the three other sort of uh, sequences or franchises of, of, of this movie, of this franchise, the three other iterations have tried. They've set up for a sequel. I think this one will be successful in making one. You know, I would see the sequel for sure. Yeah, me too. But I was so perplexed at how they just ended the movie without any character resolution for, for Superfly. So now I feel a little bit better that he's going to have a future probably, good or bad. Probably. I don't know. I thought they made it pretty clear that he melted because all the animals didn't were melt. running around. See, dude, he didn't. He was captured by her somehow. I, by the way, I don't know how because he's back to like being a tiny fly at this point because right because of the mm. the ooze in the whale blowhole. Yeah. So he's like a normal fly now, but maybe he still has his brain. It's unclear. But I don't understand. Give it time, how, he'll get bigger. Right. Like if if she if all the animals dispersed and he's a fly, which flies she would have had to be like right there with that jar. And I didn't see her in that final battle at all. No. Unclear yeah. to me. How'd the fly get there? Don't know. But that is what happened. So that's what happened to Superfly. That's what happened with the TCRI people. So I feel okay with it. Okay. Well, I wish I would have stayed longer. I didn't know. 
I just, I didn't know either. I was like, you know, it's a superhero movie and it's kind of the trend. I feel like people, if nobody else, kids are expecting there to be something after the credits and you don't want to let the kids down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So those are, those are my thoughts on Mutant Mayhem. Do you have anything else that we should touch on? Hmm. I mean, I was definitely wanting to ask you what your, like, what was your favorite? What's your favorite Ninja Turtle? That's I don't just- care. I, you know, I'll tell you who it's not. It's not Michelangelo. And it's not Raphael. It's either Donatello or Leonardo. That's why we're friends, because those are the two that I, I would pick. The, yep. So the opposite of me or the ones that I picked? The opposite of you. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm also unclear on why they are named after famous painters from the Renaissance. I don't – is there a reason for that? There was an explanation way back in the day, and I can't remember. It seems, like, so unrelated to everything that I just – and I accept it now because I just know that that's their names, but – what is that about? I don't remember it. I think it had something to do with like in the original live actions when they hatched in the sewer, you know, Splinter was more evolved than them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And like he had access to some fine art there. I did, They rec- acknowledged it somehow. But if I could, I could remember, I would tell you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking it up briefly here, but they also like, I feel like they didn't really harp on the unique aspects of each turtle as they could have like, cause the thing about Donatello, right. is like, he's super smart, right? He's super smart. Brilliant. And like Leonardo has the penchant for leadership, I guess. Is, uh, is that it? That's not really a, an intellectual trait necessarily. He's like the moral true North in the, the compass of all of their adventures and trials and tribulations. So he's always the, like the moral center. Yeah, okay. Then, like, what's Michelangelo's thing? Being a, a he's, goofball? Yeah, he's the silly, kind of stonery goofball, makes silly jokes. He's the 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 class clown. In On the wiki, it says that Michelangelo is the most naturally gifted, but prefers to have a good time rather than train. Uh, See, that's why I identify with him. It makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then I just since I've looked up all these, <laughs> I just want to see what Raphael is known for. Um, Moody, he's the the emo anger issue. Okay, well, I guess they did do a good job then. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, the most aggressive of the Turtle Brothers. (laughs) Most aggressive, very fueled by passion. Mm. I remember in the live actions, it was always a struggle for him to balance his passions and ambitions and uh, emotions with with logic and and reason and the the right thing to do. I know that some of this is, is twisted and not correct and like wires have been crossed in my brain, but is there a movie a live action where the kid from the karate kid has to audition to be in a street gang. And through the use of smoke bombs, the turtles remove bells from him and he gets in. Uh, it was not the kid from karate kid, okay. but that is the first live action that you are thinking. of. All right, great. I don't think I've seen it in 20 years. Yep. But I remember that scene. Yeah. And I even, smoke- I, even as a kid, I was like, why are the, like, he was, I think he was bad at stuff before. And then the smoke bombs come in and he's really good. And the entire group of bad guys is like, all right, you're in nothing suspicious here. Welcome aboard. And I was like, I don't right. think, you know, oversight probably. Yeah. These criminals are not, they're not straight. good. So, yeah. And it was always so rad in the old one because the, the foot, which was the gang, mm. uh, that the shredder mm-hmm. ran mm-hmm. had the coolest hangout. Like, I vividly remember watching this movie at like seven years old and they had a half pipe. They were like skating, they were, right? They were doing like skateboarding. <laughs> video games everywhere. They were 
like 12 year olds just slamming beers at one point if you go back and watch this movie they were handing out cartons of cigarettes to children that's great i mean it's not and great i, I, must say I that was once, growing up that's awesome like little 10 year old me is like i want to be a ninja that gets to drink beer and smoke cigarettes and play video and like, games and skateboard all day I think that's like pretty much what I've modeled my entire life after. Why is honestly? this movie not banned in America? They can't show that to kids. Like you can't do that. Like I and I'm not saying like you know how like I feel like a lot of people are like that. You could never do that today. I'm saying you should never have done that. Don't you shouldn't have been show able that to, to kids. do that back then. That's a terrible. Yeah. That's a terrible. And I get that they're the bad guys, but like don't make the bad guys seem so freaking cool. And right? who are the good guys? Turtles. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> The bad guys look way cooler than these turtle way nerds. Way cooler. You got you and can either of, root for you can either root for Donatello or Shredder. Yeah. And then you Come had on. Casey Jones with the hockey mask and the baseball oh, bat. Oh, I forgot like, about that too. Casey Jones has got to be in in the sequel to this. Oh, I hope so. He's cuz he's Dude, like Casey Jones. Yeah. So cool. Is he like another street youth like like April but different? No, he's a full-grown man. No. We kind of I don't know about that. What's he doing hanging out with all these kids? He was another vigilante. And in the live action ones anyway, they kind of started competing because he was stopping crime and they stopped a crime that was his crime to stop. And he was like, hey, oh, don't do that. All right. Yeah. I I vividly remember in that hangout, one of the little tiny ninja children uh, insisted on a carton of menthols. I don't know why that sticks out to me. But dang, I haven't thought about them giving cigarettes to children and saying it out loud makes me realize how absurdly inappropriate it was back then. I know. Wild. We should watch that. We should watch that in a Patreon movie night sometime. I'm just just so in. (laughs) I'll watch that right now. Have a sip of craft beer every time that something insane happens. Yes. Yeah. That'd be a good night. I love it. We would be Uh, pretty loose. I like that. Looser than those kids were by the end of the night. Right. Uh, speaking of getting loose, you ready for another beer? I am. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Man, that beer is pungent. I just opened up VA from Crooked Stave. It is an artisanal ale aged in oak barrels. Do you uh, want to spell what it? kind of it? You should spell it. V V I E I E. Wait, V I E I L L E. French. VA. What does it even mean? Uh, I looked it up. It's like from the French, uh, old French for like village. So it's like a, like a, just a village beer. Oh, read the description. I was trying to set you up, man. I was giving you an underhand. <laughs> I like, forgot that no, it was no, that's, stick with it. It means, it means village. Go ahead and read the description. Uh, no, <laughs> translation. All right, here we go. Uh, VA is from Crooked Stave again out of Denver. It is a Saison of the artisanal variety, 4.5% ABV, purchased at SNS Chico right here in town. And description, uh, it is translated from French as old tradition. VA is our barrel-aged classic saison. Using time-honored techniques, our saisons employ traditional methods to restore complexity and the rustic character lost in the modern-day saison. Saisons were original, were the original wild ales brews, brewed for the farmhands to be a refreshing and sustaining beverage. Each batch of VA takes on a soft Britannomyces character and a complex acidity while conditioning in our lager, or I'm sorry, in our large oak foders. After conditioning in oak, we lightly dry hop the beer to finish it, lending a subtle citrusy hop aroma. 
leading with lemon and lime citrusy hop notes, a subtle herbal spice, and a crisp tart finish. VA's character epitomizes artisan saison. Nice. All right. Great. Um, okay. All right. Well, I haven't tried it, and it's been such a lovely day with Crooked Stave that I... Can you go first? I've, I, maybe you taste it first. What do you think? Mm. You like the style uh, way more than me. I love it. Okay, tell me why. You think don't? I do love oh, yeah, it. Yeah, okay, good. Tell me more. No. Man, that is so fundamental. That is just so fundamentally sound as a stylistic interpretation. Man, they really crushed a super old style of beer, and they, they took it down to the bare bones and just made a simple beer. It is simple in origin. It is super old in style. I love the approach to just go old school with the Saison. It has got these beautiful, semi-funky, medium to light barnyard notes, tons of citrusy brightness, just enough funk. Okay. Super, super, like, I kind of got stuck drinking it. Where, you know, like you would take a sip of something to evaluate and then you just like yeah. can't stop. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, yeah, I almost just killed like six ounces of this in my taster glass. It is it's so bright, crisp, refreshing, funky, just tart enough, but also has notes of drinking kind of like a lager. Um, it's got that lightness. It's got a subtle breadiness to the finish that kind of comes through in the aftertaste. Okay. Really well-rounded, just super balanced, all of the things I like, not too much of the things I don't. It is lights out. This is a phenomenal Saison. So, Johnny, you'll not remember this because neither did I, but on episode 189, we drank a Saison called Meyer Lemon, and that was in 2020. It was 5%. You gave it a 7.2. No, you didn't. I'm so sorry. You gave it a 6.6. I gave it a 4 Mm-hmm. And that beer, Meyer Lemon, was made by Crooked Stave. Okay. So we have done them once on the show. Um, the other saisons that have come to my attention that we've done on the show in the past couple years um, were one by Dwinell Country Ales, and that was called Haywire, and that was in 2022. Um, you gave that one an 8.5. I gave it a 4, which seems about right stylistically. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also did one ca- called Nelson Hop Saison from Third Window Brewing, and that was in 2021, uh, 7%. And we both gave it, well, you gave it a 7.9, effectively an 8. I gave it a 7, um, which is higher than I would have expected. But for the most part, my Saison ratings are typically sub 5. Yeah, and we just did that one from somewhere. Was it a that... true Saison? Yeah. That was within the last like month or two. It was from Equilibrium, and it had the red and white label. Sonic something, perhaps? I don't know why I don't remember that at all, but I certainly do not. That's all right. I'll look it up. Okay. Um, well, I think you've you've given a really good starting point to the discussion of this. I still haven't tried it because I was Googling, not Googling that. I was looking through our, our beer compendium, but I really did see, uh, compared to the other one, I really love this can design. It's a big open field. If you look closely, it's almost like this design was printed on denim. If you mm-hmm. look in the in the sort of in the horizon line, it looks like it was on like or or like maybe a, a canvas bag, um, and it's a big open field with an old timey tractor, um, just out in the middle of the field, a farmhouse in the back with a silo. It's a very peaceful looking uh, can. I, I enjoy that, and I will start with that positive note because I don't know what's going to happen after I taste it. 
Do it. It was a string theory. Uh, it was a Saison from Equilibrium. That oh. was 5%. I give it an 8.9. You give it a 6. I remember that, that year. That was of. on episode 304 uh, on our Fast X episode. Man. Oh, God. I just tried it. <laughs> that's, that's atrocious. I can't stand it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't know. Man. I'm going to try it again because of integrity for the show, but woo. Mm. Yep, there I go again. There's um did you you said this was Agent Oak Barrels, right? I think you said Oak that. Voters, yes. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm gonna try it again. Here we go. Do it. Uh this is unfortunate. If we were recording together and I didn't have a sore throat, I would uh most definitely drink all of what oh. you're not going to. Yeah, that's trash. Oh, I love I'm it. I'm sure it's man. not trash. You know, I just I really dislike that a lot. I think you are just uh you're, you're trash. down. <laughs> you're down on the style. I know, 100. percent Yeah, it's um, it's, it's not your jam. No, you don't buy jam. If this you is buy anybody's honey, jam, kiss you, it on the lips. You send that jam back. This jam has gone bad or something. Um, have you seen that that video of Gary Busey? You'll have to be more specific. Oh, uh, it's recent. Just is making the rounds. He just starts ranting about buttered sausage. No, I haven't. And what it's doing, where it's going, what's it doing to us? And then he's like. Uh, so the guy that's interviewing him is like, oh, it's not your jam, huh? He's like, I don't buy jam. I buy honey, and I kiss it on the lips. Oh is it from a movie, or is it just Gary? No, it's him just oh, being. sorry. I was picturing Gary Oldman this whole time. You said Gary Busey, right? Gary Busey. Just that makes more Gary sense. Gary Busey completely unhinged. It's not good. I'll send it the, send you the link, but right. it's not your jam. You, no. You buy honey, and yep. you kiss it on the lips yep. is what I was going um, for. This is also incredibly heartburning. Um there's a there's an intense tang, a lemony almost tang. Um I mean incredibly acidic. There's there's yeah, oh, there yeah, there's some spice going on. Um not for me. Um very unenjoyable. <laughs> I uh I think it's I think it's I mean, I'm going to go ahead and rate it unless you have anything else you want to say before I do. Go ahead, man. I mean, that's a two. That's a two for me out of 10. That's a, that's, I'm done. That's plenty for me. Oh my God. Don't like um, it. I absolutely love it. I think this is completely exemplary for the style. It is super traditional in the absolute best way. This is a 9.4 for me. You're high on crack cocaine. Usually. 9.4. Okay. That's, it is tremendously 9.4? delicious. 9.4? Uh, young Maxwell, I have almost completely drank the entire 16 ounce can in the time that we have been talking. Yeah, you yes, drink bush I, light. I adore this beer. It is everything I want in a saison. This and that equilibrium are going to be until the weather gets cold. Two of my favorite beers to snag at the the bottle shop. All right, then we're going to play the game that we play anytime you rate a beer over a nine, which is Johnny. Would you rather have another can of this or a bush light? Um, a 16 ounce bush light. Mm. I mean, let me get another sip. You look at your rating. You gave it a nine point four. What's to, what do you need to sip it for? Well, Bush Light's a ten, though, brother. Ugh. Are you kidding me? Um, Bush Light's a ten for you. It's the best light lager, mass-produced domestic beer in America. Period. Okay. Right. Period. Somebody sponsor this guy. There is none better. Yeah, please, if you're listening, Bush Light. They don't care me. about you. At least Crooked Stave might care about what you're saying. But you know what? I care about them, and I don't care. You don't talk bad about my Bush Light. Fine. But the question remains, would you rather have one of those or another one of these? Um, honestly, another can of this. I would drink two cans of this immediately. All it's right. so good. Then I'm extra sorry that I'm not going to drink this one. It's all right, man. It happens.
Um, all right. Well, I've clearly got nothing else to say about this. Don't no disrespect, <laughs> just not my thing. Do you have anything else you got? I think it's it's a shining example of what a traditional American produced super old school artisan saison can be. I think this might be the best one that you'll find in America. Um just I don't for know this about style. That. Yeah. In I America? Do. Like an American produced traditional French style saison. Uh, without adjuncts that is just completely straightforward. I would put this toe-to-toe with any other beer out there. Other ones are going to be more acidic. They're going to be more harsh, more heartburny. This just has that balance. I would put this up against any other American-made Saison uh, as far as best best in America. I mean, that's I mean, that's an incredible thing to say. Well, you know, the thing is, Max, sometimes... Things have to be the best. So, I mean, you you come across something and you realize this is the movie of the year or this is the best beer of the year. Or maybe this is the best version of this style made in America right now. I don't know. All right. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, you're just leaving out some pretty – I mean, there's huge – like even Degard, which you've mentioned on this episode today. You think this beats all of Degard saisons? Um, traditional, just straight up. Not adjunct, not trying to be too sour. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Any last thoughts then? I would at least love to give it the old Pepsi challenge. I would love to put this up against other lauded, award-winning, highly rated. Like, I'm going to throw this out there. I bet this beer wins an award within the next 12, 12 months. Is it, a, is it a new beer? Uh, I have no idea. But you can re-enter beers that you've made for years in in categories. People do it at like GABF all the time, and you know, um, I I would make a hard bet with some cash that if this is entered into festivals like GABF or other nationally acknowledged competitions, that it at least places in the top three. But I, I could see it winning. Once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on KZFR ninety point one FM. If you have feedback on anything we've discussed today, you can call, you can text 530-433-0839. Johnny and I will both get those messages. Again, that number is 530-433-0839. Or feel free to send a good old-fashioned email to fhccast at gmail.com. That's right. And as a reminder to our radio listeners, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, If you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes the always unpredictable hot and bothered segment, or if you want to go digging through six plus years worth of episodes dating back to 2016, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. We'll be back on the radio waves of KZFR next Saturday at 4 p.m. So until then, consume some films and beers that Broaden your horizons. Don't give you heartburn. And if you enjoyed the show, you can leave a tip at kzfr.org. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And to those of you currently heading to the beach or cleaning your house and listening in podcast form, we'll be right back with Hot and Bothered. Hot and Welcome to Hot and Bothered, folks. It's where we go off brand, not off brand. We go, we don't go off anything. We stay true to the show, which is that we have Hot and Bothered now. So welcome to we it. We keep going. Yeah. Um, Johnny, what you got, man? What does that acronym mean on your notes? Uh, that is an acronym <clears throat> that it stands for Take Me Back to Eden. That is probably, no, it is. It's my favorite uh, album of the year. It's my number one favorite music that has come out this year. It is from a band called Sleep Token, and okay. it has officially taken over my life. Okay. I have gone so deep on this band, um, 
I love them. I love them to pieces. They are mysterious. There is an air an air of lore about them. Their first three albums were concept albums. Uh, I could go deep, deep, deep into the lore because I have been in my spare time, but I will focus on the album called Take Me Back to Eden that dropped okay. on the 19th of May this year. Uh, it is the third in the trilogy of concept albums, and it is this genre-bending musical experience, right? I kind of first got exposed to this and thought it was kind of a, a indie, melodic, trip-hop, like weird. I didn't know what was happening, but then some of their songs have these really heavy metal, new metal, deathcore almost breakdowns. But this album is also heavily influenced by like indie rock, piano, ballads, like singer-songwriter stuff meets R&B, meets like jazz, meets okay. hip-hop. Um, and on paper, that sounds like ass. I know. Um, but their songwriting and the lyrical content is so next level. It, I don't want to sound ridiculous but it borders on poetry like the the lyrics are impressively written mm -hmm. put it that way um i'm a really big fan of of well-written well-thought-out lyrics and they're structured beautifully uh just some of the simple use of the english language is just the way they put together lyrics is is fantastic and they hit you with the left hook of like a jazz breakdown that is like the sexiest uh, most seductive thing you've ever heard and then follow it up with what sounds like a praise and worship ballad from mm -hmm. like junior high Christian school camp. Okay. Um, there's a lot of layers to this band, but they, they hit on this mid thirties millennial former emo kid vibe. You know, there's strong notes of toxic relationships and trauma and heartache and joy and, and love and all these big picture things that they tackle in this, massively unique musical way. It is far and away one of the most unique albums that I've ever heard in my life, and there's no way that it's not my favorite album of the year. Sweet, man. It's a very stellar review. Nicely done. It's Yeah, it's. it really reminded me that sometimes you discover like the best thing you've ever heard for a year, for two years, 10 years. Those things... Those questions are answered if something stands the test of time, right? right you can't right, right. discover something and say, this is the best that ever was and ever will be. But for me, that album is something special. I think a lot of the songs hit in unique and different ways. You know, joy, sorrow, trauma, regret, suicide, all these things are just packaged in, yeah, it's it's tremendous. I think it's worth worth a listen. I think if if anything I've said sounds intriguing, um, listen to their album and, and drink a beer with me and let's talk about it because it is absolutely taken over my musical listening life right now. You want to talk about Suits? I do, man. Uh, on another side of things, I was just kind of in between shows, in between movies, and Suits is super popular right now because it just dropped on Netflix, all of the episodes. It, it's an American drama series that came out in 2011. There's nine seasons of it, uh, and it is very well written. I am a few episodes, uh, six or seven episodes into the first season, uh, and it reminds me a lot of the Aaron Sorkin written series, The Newsroom, that we both enjoyed very much. The 
the snappiness and intelligence of the dialogue is is very engaging and entertaining, and it keeps you coming back for more. Uh, and it centers around uh, this lawyer named Harvey Specter that hires this kind of fuck up kid that is actually on a drug deal and stumbles into uh, associate interviews for this giant law firm in New York City. And he, uh, the kid, uh, Michael Ross is his name in the show, played Patrick by Patrick J. J. Adams. Adams. Yeah, is um, the super intelligent kid that is taking the LSAT test to pass the bar for people. He is cheating and committing forgery uh, and getting them excellent scores and getting tons of people into law school and has never done it for himself. There's a bevy of reasons why. Um, but Harvey Specter is kind of this like rock star rebel uh, lone gun lawyer uh, and decides to hire him even though he is completely forthright about never having gone to law school and being a cheater essentially. But it's um, worth noting that his law firm hires exclusively from Harvard graduates. From Harvard, it's yeah. A, it's a point of contention that happens in the first season. Yes, absolutely. So it's just some good, entertaining television. It's well-written drama, very newsroom West Wing adjacent. It's got shades of Sorkin all over it. Uh, I have read some things where in later seasons it kind of jumps the shark and gets into a bit uh, murky and unrealistic waters. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think it ever dwells in them entirely. There's some outlandish law and law-related issues that I don't know if you're a lawyer if they would be entirely accurate. But uh, I think overall it's it's viciously entertaining and it's it's addictive in its um, delivery. I think it's it's really well done and it, it has definitely got me binging a few episodes at a time. So that's what I've been watching. I started Suits as well. Recently, did you really? Yeah, as you mentioned, Netflix acquired it. I think I think a couple months ago, and and I don't know exactly why, because like you said, it's it's a twelve. Uh, well, from the time it started in twenty eleven, it's a twelve year old show. Um, yeah, and it's essentially it's Grey's Anatomy in a law office, and I say that as somebody who's never really watched Grey's Anatomy, but I understand it's a situational um, drama, a sit drama, mm -hmm. as we call them. Nobody calls them that. They they could. I though. like it's that, good. Though. It makes sense. I take massive offense to your comparison to the West Wing or the newsroom. This feels like it was written by Aaron Sorkin if somebody hit him with a baseball bat first and he was almost catatonic. This, this is a film, this is a, it's a show about smart people written by people who think they are that smart and they're not. It's not, it's nowhere near as smart as the newsroom. It doesn't come close. The, the newsroom's about stuff. And there's 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 large arcs of of thematic elements and plot lines. Everything episode to episode is encapsulated in it's insulated in in one episode, and they have an issue and they solve it. And here's the structure of an episode, by the way. I love this show. Can I? I know I'm starting to sound the other way. I think it's great. <laughs> well, yeah, I just made an outlandish comparison, and I think I will defend myself somewhat in saying the comparison. Maybe if I would have thought about it more, it's really just the pacing and delivery. It's just fast paced. It's fast paced. That's true. That's probably as far as it should have gone. I apologize, Aaron Sorkin and Max Minardi. Yeah, it's a bit like saying Gilmore Girls is the newsroom. It's not. They just <laughs> they talk fast, which is yeah. is its own thing. And I I, I love shows about smart people. Um, right. But but you know the bar was set pretty high with the West Wing in the newsroom, and this just can't compete. So that said, the structure for an episode is this: once we get established that Mike Ross gets hired, we're in the law firm. Here's here's how the episode goes. Um, 
Harvey Specter, who, by the way, is played by Gabriel Macht. I don't think you said that. So he goes, his his boss, um, I think her name is Jessica, and um, that should be Gina Torres as the actress. She says, Harvey, I'm sick of you messing these things up. One more chance and you don't play by the book, your ass is out of here. Handle this yourself personally. He goes, understood. He hands it to Mike. He goes, Mike, you're going to, listen, you're the pony. You're the puppy. You're going to have to learn from the big guns. You're doing this pro bono. Don't fuck it up, buddy. And then, then, so then they're like constantly, you check in with the boss. She's like, hey, Harvey, you doing it? He's like, hey, relax. I'm I'm a partner in this firm. I got it. And then he scuttles, scuttles, scuttles over to Mike Ross. Mike, you're, don't, you're handling this, right? Handle it. And then Mike messes up halfway through the episode. Harvey goes, this is why, this is why I'm going to, I should never have hired you. And Mike's like, give me another <laughs> chance. And then by the end, they figured out the whole time, Lewis Litt, by the way, who's this bald guy played by Rick Hoffman, who's very funny, but I think he's supposed to be intimidating. It's unclear. Uh, I think he's like, like the comic relief. He's like, sometimes he is, but sometimes he's like supposed to be taken seriously. I don't know. He's so audacious. That character is ridiculous. He's great. So he's also like a boss of Mike's, but not really, but kind of, and nobody ever addresses it. Mike's just getting left and right. Like, listen to me. And then Harvey's like, no, listen to me. And then Lewis is like, listen to me. And then, and then Donna and, and, and Donna is played by, um, uh, Sarah Rafferty. She's like the secretary of Harvey and also Megan Markle's in this as someone who's like a bad enough test taker that she can't become a lawyer, but she's obviously very smart and she's hot. And I think that's why she's in it. Like she's supposed to be a romantic lead and that's it. And then, so there's like romance, there's drama and that's every episode is that. And then it all yep. it all concludes and it's happy. And then the fucking next episode is we've got another problem. A client's been embezzling money. Harvey, there's only one man for the job. And he's like, I think it's Mike Ross. You're doing this pro bono, kid. He's like, I don't want to do a pro bono. I want to go back to taking tests. He's like, you do that and then your future's over. And then it's like, I hate that fucking intro, by the way. Greenback Boogie, <laughs> the worst song of all time, I think. It's fucking horrible. Um, that suits, but you, but, but you like it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is pretty great, right? It's but it's, like it's junk, dumb entertainment. It's it's easy. It's like junk food. It's absolutely junk food. It's it's yeah. Yes, it's like a million other things. I don't understand exactly why it's made a resurgence, aside from maybe Netflix having bought it at a good deal and then wanting to, uh, you know, relegate not relegate um, designate real estate on their homepage for it. Like it's broken some Nielsen ratings recently. I think it, I thought I saw the number. It's like eighteen. Oh my God, was it billion? I can't be right. Well, maybe it was right. Hang on, let me find it. Jesus. Um, oh, I just had it. 18 billion minutes viewed in a month, which- um, My God. I'm no mathematician. Uh, I'm no Mike Ross, but I don't think there are 18 billion minutes in a month. Uh, I'm joking there. Obviously, I understand how they get to that number, but that is crazy. <laughs> like, you know, there's also been a crazy decline in like the standard cable television viewership in the past few months. So yeah. who knows? That is great. It's super entertaining. It's a silly goose time, and I'm here for it. Yeah. You got anything else? I don't. Do you? No. As usual, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi, everybody on Patreon, and my name is Max Minardi. My name is Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us. Um, not to stuff it down your throat, but you should really listen to that Sleep Token album. I really want everyone to enjoy it as much as me. Uh, all that to say, watch some stuff that makes you happy, even if it's silly nonsense, kettle corn television like suits. Drink some delicious beers if it's an amazing retro artisanal saison, or if it's a tall can of White Claw. We don't care. We appreciate you either way. Just be good to each other and uh, take care. See you next week.
This is Fresh Hop Cinema. <laughs>